Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is Archery Unfiltered, where I, Wendell Souza, cover California archery events and what it takes to make you a better archer. Good morning, everybody, on this beautiful November 10th day. Um, this is your old friend, Wendeezy, coming through the airwaves, the digital airwaves to say what up. Uh... Archer and Filter is still here. We're still kicking. And, uh, man, do I have so much stuff to talk to you guys about. This is, it's like, it's one thing to watch the economy fly up and down with every bit of information that comes out about inflation and consumer price index numbers and, you know, Joe Biden falling asleep while he's giving a speech. All that stuff. Uh, it's, you know, causes my 401k to move up and down like um like crazy <laughs> like it has parkinson's bases basically um but you know aside from that all you know if you guys have been checking out social media archery's been pretty wild in its own way um let's get into it the first thing we'll talk about uh is the thing i talked about I think last year, I was like, who cares? When it comes to pros signing new contracts and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, so-and-so did this. Uh, I'll admit, I got caught up in it this year. <coughs> you guys have to pardon me <coughs> for being sick. I don't have COVID, but you guys know when you have a little kid um, and your kid has the same DNA as you, and they got these little baby immune systems. Germs get into your kid. They look at their genetic code and they go, "Okay, so if we're going to take out a Sousa, this is going to be a piece of cake. This is the this is the key to the castle." They look at the the map, and then that germ jumps ship from your baby, you know, as while she's feeding you a a piece of bread into your body, and then those germs go absolutely buck wild and ravage you. And so that's where I'm at right now. Uh, you know, I should title these episodes like sick day episodes, but it's not really a sick day for me. I'm, I'm still working. <laughs> so, okay. In the, uh, we'll start with the contracts, right? Contracts, are one thing, bows are a second thing. It's kind of a, a neat, a neat time of year where, uh, you know, pros all jump ship to new companies and then, New companies release or companies release new bows, right? The big, big bow I think that got released this last week was that new Bowtech. Um, what do they call it? The Reckoning. Very, very doom and gloom, bible Because <laughs> let's be real, with when the Reckoning, if the Reckoning ever hits, definitely pro archers will be the first to go. 
I'm sure of it. But the reckoning, okay, you guys remember last year I bitched about no innovation, right? These companies have no innovation. Uh, this year, Bose, new bows come out, innovation. There's fucking innovation. Uh, it's kind of neat. I kind of slept on it. Okay, here's a couple of the things that are, are being innovated right now. Uh, that new Bowtech Reckoning it has like the pegs for its cables are on little slider doodads. You basically, all right, without me describing it wrong, you can adjust your cable timing now with an Allen wrench, which is huge. You can retime your bow in the field. Like no bow press, nothing like that. Just just using screws and stuff. That's huge. And I think Bowtech really did a good job there. Um, you know, they also have their, their little worm drive, uh, I'm sorry, worm screw, uh, cam drive thing where you can adjust your, where your cam sits on this worm screw, like left or right. All of it. Awesome stuff. What are they doing? They're making it. So, Hey, your average Tom, Dick and Harry can adjust their, have as much adjustment in their bow as the, uh, as the pro who has a whole full shop in his yard or full access to a shop it's pretty awesome okay uh i'm not the biggest fan of the bowtech bows just because they look ugly and i don't think anyone would disagree with me there I don't, even people that are bowtech fans that are like hey when they hear me say well they're ugly they go mm, oh yeah okay you're right uh they are incredibly heinously ugly bows awesome with the innovation though i like seriously there's a couple companies that got me standing up and giving the slow clap this year. All right. And that's definitely one of them. So bravo Bowtech. Um, the other would be the elite, right? The elite verdict has this little, it's got like a gear in the cam that lets you adjust the let off on your bow. in what they say is 1% increments. I don't know what kind of scale you have on that cam that allows you to see one percent increments but that's i mean the concepts is is awesome I, you know uh i like that the and so it has adjustable draw length to a quarter of an inch the, the elite verdict and it has this let off adjustment so you could essentially customize your your whole draw cycle and the very end of your draw cycle where it goes to valley and wall to me that's awesome. I think that would be really advantageous to new shooters that are trying to figure out what they want. And then after they figure it out and then the following year comes around and they want to get a higher end bow, they can say, okay, well, this is the way I like my bow to feel. And then they can go and try it, test a bunch of things and see what's that, you know, see what's out there. The, it's innovation right there. I think that is badass innovation. Uh, the final company that innovated something, was PSE and their new Dominator, where they have the flip chip technology, which makes it so you can make a right-handed bow left and vice versa. Um, I am less impressed with that, but it is different. It is innovating. It's, they're not cranking out the same old shit anymore. Some of these companies are thinking outside the box. They're thinking for the manufacturer, right? They're think or, no, I'm sorry, not the manufacturer. They're thinking for the shops, the vendors, right? Sorry, guys. He's coughing right in the mic. <coughs> but a lot of these companies, they're thinking on behalf of, like, they're thinking, okay, how, how can we make it easier for our shops 
to, to showcase these bows. And that's one thing. Now these comp- now these shops don't have to you know spend all day setting up their bow just for one guy who's going to try them all out and then go to a different shop and buy them at a different shop. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's really cool. I I gotta really give the the clap for these. Com- oh, give the clap sounds weird. I really gotta you know applaud these companies this year. They did good, and it, it actually is silencing the whiner in me. All right. Uh, I'm trying to be less of a whiner, um, probably failing at it a little bit. I'm definitely going to whine a little bit in this episode, but uh, yeah, good job archery companies, man. It's almost like, it's almost like you listened to the consumer, you know? And at the end of the day, like I've heard, I've heard people say, Hey, you know, thank your lucky stars. The industry, you know, puts forth all these tournaments and, you know, the industry is the one, is the thing that you guys got to be thinking because the industry, like the, all the big manufacturers, they're the ones that keep the sport alive. And it's like, no, I've heard a lot of people say that, people high up say that. And let's be very clear, it's the consumer, it's you and me that keep this industry alive. Okay, if the big, if the big manufacturers refused to put on a tournament, we would still get together, we would shoot a tournament, we'd either do a you know, scratch tournament or who knows what, but you guys re- always remember, all right. And this goes like I, I don't know if this is like my own personal religious stuff that I'm put forcing on you guys now or not, but it's you and me, the consumer, that keeps the sport alive, and it's us that drive this sport. Okay, so don't take a back seat to the companies ever. All right, these manufacturers are there like ultimately they're there to serve us like truly like you don't go to a restaurant order a cheeseburger and the waitress comes out puts down an empty plate and then when you look at her she punches you in the face and then says that'll be eight dollars like that's not the way it works that's not that's not the way the american economy works you know and um these companies that innovate really give me hope for the future of archery because they're 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 going to change what it's like for consumers. Like that's that's huge. With that new ugly Bowtech that just came out, um, a bunch of people, a bunch of people are going to be able to get that, and they're not going to need their bow press anymore. I mean, if they're a stickler like me, they're going to still need that bow press because you're going to want to get that peep sight perfect. You're still gonna have to do a, you know, a bunch of real fine stuff. I mean, what happens when you run out of adjustment on one screw and your timing's still out? You're gonna need to. You're gonna have to do it a little bit, you know. But for some people, they just take the bow to the shop, you know. And there's other companies like Black Eagle that sells little pieces of crap that you can jam in your string to adjust your peep. So it's like there's a way around it. For some people, they will never have to use a bow press. Like in the future, and that's wild. That's wild. And the the whole elite bow, uh, giving you the adjustability to to create basically the draw cycle you want, that's huge too. Um, so I don't know. It's just awesome. We're living in an awesome time, you know. And I think these three companies, Bowtech, Elite, and PSE, should all be kind of you know held in high regard. I think. Coming into the next year, we're going to see some 
some good shooters. Well, we'll get into that next. We'll get into that next. So let's see here. So you guys have all that, you know, everyone that's been on social media has probably noticed that people are switching it up. A lot of unpredictable uh, stuff has been coming out. Like first, Christoph leaves Hoyt and goes to PSE. So I, I, you know, was talking with friends and everyone said, well, who do you think Christoph's going, you know, what company is he going to? I thought it would have been Matthews, to be honest. And not has nothing to do with the Bose has everything to do with like his relationships, which would be like to Rio. But I guess, you know, I think Logan still shoots for PSC, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, Chris Schaff to PSE. Uh, that was the first one where I was like, wow, okay, neat. And I've heard some people, you know, I have some buddies that are very pro Hoyt fanboy that were like, maybe Hoyt dropped him. It's like, mm, I doubt it. Chris Schaff's fucking amazing. He's an amazing shooter. Any brand that he's representing, he represents extremely well. You know, his uh, the only mishap he's ever had was this steroid allegation, which was from eating all this whack beef in what, Guatemala or whatever. So it's like, I don't know. If you consider that a bunch of other people also got popped for it, you know, you can kind of wipe that one off the table. I don't think Hoyt would just up and drop him. Um, I also don't think we'll ever know, right? So it's all speculating on our behalf. But Chris Schaff, he's, you know, as far as I can tell, he seems like a cool cat. For him to go PSC, that's pretty awesome. For no reason other than it was, in my mind, uh, not predictable, <laughs> you know? Um, the like the early ones that kind of came out that were pretty wild was like Braden, Galantine, and, and Ta- uh, Tanya. Wait, Tanya? Ta- yeah, Tanya Jensen, basically. Tanya Galantine now, because they're married. Both went to Darton. Oh, and so did uh, Bill Drake. You guys all know Bill Drake up in Oregon. Bill Drake that, or is it Washington? He's that badass dude who uh, he went toe-to-toe. I think he beat, um, tra- uh, what's his name, Keith Trail in the old man version of Vegas. He did beat Keith Trail, actually. I remember. Um, Bill Drake's an amazing shooter. All of these, these people went to Darton. And I know you're asking me, like, well, what... What is Darton exactly? Is that the crossbow company? It's like, well, no, it's a compound bow company. Darton is another company that really mastered the engineering half of making an ugly bow. Um, it's almost like that, you know, it's, it's almost like the designers over at uh, Darton and Bowtech have like this rivalry for who can just make a piece of an aluminum, a uh, piece of aluminum look insanely ugly. Now, Darton has its own, um, you know, theory on, you know, what makes a stable bow platform. They have a shoot through riser. They have a non shoot through riser, which is also very popular. Um, they have like a yoke system that goes to, it's not really a yoke system, but it goes to like a pulley, which, you know, helps equalize whatever, you know, just stuff. You guys go look it up. If you're interested in a Darton, uh, go check that out. 
this is going to be a year where you're going to see a lot of Dartons, where previously you did not see a lot of Dartons, okay? And I think um, people that shoot Darton, I, like, don't get me wrong here, I might be wrong, but there's some kind of affiliation with Black Eagle, either the owner of Darton also owns Black Eagle, or there's some kind of, like, buyer's group or something, but they're an affiliated company, one way or another, so you'll kind of see people... Some people shooting Darton will also shoot the Black Eagle stuff and, you know, stuff like that. So, it's interesting. It's neat. The bow's ugly, but I'm sure some of you guys out there like ugly bows. I know my buddy Butch Baker, he's like a, you know, a genius behind making um, bow vices and uh, string building jigs. You know, he's, he's like the leader in that kind of thing. Butch liked the Darton. And what's weird is... Butch liked the non-shoot-through riser. It made me like the non-shoot-through riser also. So the non-shoot-through riser looks slightly less ugly than the uh, than the shoot-through riser, which is strange because you guys know normally shoot-through risers look really cool. Uh, Darton has found some way to make it really unappealing. I don't know. I don't know how, but hey, you know what? More power to them. You don't have to have a good-looking bow to shoot good. You know. <laughs> Not at all. And uh, sometimes those ugly bows, if you can make an ugly bow look cool, I mean, that's that says something about you as the shooter, you know? So, yeah, wild stuff. Brain Galantine, a guy you never, you would have thought would never leave Matthews, left Matthews. And it's just like, here we go. Let's jump on this train now. I mean, to be fair, the, you know, Matthews is not, they did not release a new target bow this year. Um, is that, you know, is that bad? I don't think so. Maybe they, maybe they got something in the works. Maybe they, they're waiting. I hope it's not like uh, the company's not like, eh, well, our TRX line is pretty perfect. We don't need to. Um, because I think, you know, innovation is what drives this, this country. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of patriotic, um, like, like old Reaganite patriotic views. So... <laughs> If anyone's like getting tired of that, you just shoot me a message on the side and tell me to shut up. <coughs> it probably won't work because I get told to shut up constantly. Um, and the final one, all right, the final ship jumper that I think like really had a lot of people going there was the king, Bodie Turner. Bodie just posted in his stories the other day. He's like perfect thirty X game. And he lean. He has his PSE Supra RTX leaning up against the target. It's like what? I know. I know. A lot of people were like, "Holy shit!" Did not see that coming. Uh, they used Bodie's bow in like the or Hoyt used Bodie's bow in the kind of like the launch video. So pretty damn uh, out of the out of left field there. I'm sure people that knew Bodie knew this stuff already, but. You know, for those of us that live hours, like days away, uh, pretty wild, pretty wild. So Bodie to PSE, you guys all know Blake Jerome went PSE. Um, so there you have it, you know, did Hoyt pick up? Oh, uh, yes, Hoyt picked up. Hold on. Let me check this one out. Hoyt picked up Robert Householder. And if you guys are like, who's Householder? He's that dude... He looks like your generic white guy with a beard, right? Uh, 
kind of looks like Kyle Douglas. Like he could be related to Kyle Douglas. Um, but he shoots at Matthews. He's your typical Matthews guy, right? Like what do Matthews guys look like? They're all white guys. They're a little taller generally. Uh, they got a little bit of a, you know, not a, not a, not a gut, but, uh, you know, they're like, they're kind of like doughy, tall, white guys. Um, generally sporting a beard, right? That's, that's your basic Matthew shooter. And that's Robert Householder. Uh, but now Robert Householder signed a Hoyt, posted up a very clean 30X game with his, uh, Stratos. So he's very, um, he's very happy shooting that bow. So those are the, you know, the contract switchovers. I know most of you don't care. It's just, you know, or maybe you do care. Um, I used to not care, but it seems like it's, I cannot lie and say it doesn't get me excited when a pro shooter does something unexpected. You know, I, I kind of like that because they're kind of putting it, putting it all out there. You know what I mean? As far as their fans go, granted, I'm sure they don't care because it's, it's in the, at the end of the day for them, it's all about who's going to cough up some money, but you kind of put it out there where it's like, you know, are a bunch of fans going to turn on you now? because you're shooting a different bow, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes fanboys, it either makes them drop this whole like bow loyalty nonsense, this company loyalty nonsense, or it makes them show their colors of being like a fickle fan. So, <coughs> sorry guys, for me personally, I'm a fan of everybody, everybody. Even you listening to the show, I'm a big fan. I like I like your style. I like the cut of your jib. Um, in this past couple of uh, weeks, a couple indoor tournaments in California kicked off, uh, specifically near the Bay Area where I live. We had the Coyote 600, which I got to get my paws dirty in. Um, that was won by a Randall Killpack. My good buddy Randall, who I've been shooting against for, man, I'm gonna say half a, I'll say half a decade because it sounds like a long time, but I've been shooting against Randall for a long time, and he is always, he's always the big threat at any tournament, and it's not, it, like he's always just this guy that shows up, and you know. It's just going to be a wake of destruction behind him. I mean, I'm not saying he's the only one, but he is a really, really good shooter. And when it comes to indoor, Randall knows how to buckle down and figure the shit out. And you guys know how I'm always talking about like what you can kind of judge a, a shooter by their average, right? I, w I would tell you, like, if I were to shoot around right now, I'm going to shoot a 299 23X game. <coughs> that's about that's about what I'm shooting. That's about what I'm putting down right now, just on average. Randall is a 28x300 shooter. That is impressive. At the height of my shooting, like you guys remember, I shot really great in Vegas last year. At the height of my shooting, I'm a solid 23 24x300. That's at my best. And Randall's easily 28x. Um, a 28x shooter. So uh, I hope to get him on the show pretty soon. Uh, he doesn't like doing phone call stuff. He likes so I have to see him in person. We have to sit down. 
set up some stuff, hand him my broken. I have two microphones, and one of them's broken. So I hand him with a broken mic, and you know, we'll pick his brain. Randall is a uh, he builds his own strings, so he kind of is one of these guys that I feel like once you get into string building, you start really diving into the way the bow reacts to stuff, and you start you know getting next level with your bow tuning. You guys all know that. Like this, I've heard my buddy Rudy says the string is the only man-made, like made by hand part of this bow. And I was like, oh, that's true. That's true. So interesting stuff. Um, Randall also won the AB Invitational. It's an indoor tournament that kicked off this last weekend. It's a very interesting format of uh, Super 10 uh, World Archery Target and No Limit on Arrow Size. Um, Randall shot incredible scores, went up against my friend, Caleb Quiocho, who made it to second place, which was incredible shooting. Caleb shoots 23 diameter arrows. He calls it at 23. He's one of the few people that make me go, Hmm, maybe I should look at these 23s again. (coughs) It would not matter because what Caleb does is put in work and he is a diligent, nose to the grindstone shooter uh this young man is kicking butt i can only expect more awesome stuff from him uh you know good job caleb good job randall i you know when i heard that randall beat caleb i was like did you tell caleb that you did that for me you avenged my only loss in indoor matches last year and he said randall simply said no (laughs) he's like i don't care about you at all so um i always kind of hope i always kind of hope maybe someone would avenge me but it doesn't matter you know what it's a new generation it's a new day i'm old news what happens when you're getting ready to start a farm you burn down all the old shit and then you shovel the ashes into the garbage i'm getting shoveled up right now all the new stuff's coming through and it's looking good it's looking good i love the bar getting set high that shows you what's possible with a little bit of work and just a little bit of dedication. And it's great that we're finally seeing it here in California. You guys know most most of this like awesome stellar shooting is in other states. But we're starting to see it here. So yeah, those those are the two shoots. I think um my buddy Gus placed second at the Coyote six hundred. Um, it basically came down to him and Randall in the shoot off, which was amazing. You know, Gus is a new, I'm going to say he's a, an up and comer and you know, Gus has kids and a family. So for him, practice is going to be way harder than some of these, uh, you know, some of these young studs here. I like, I'm sure it's tough to practice for Caleb cause he's got to get a parent to drive him to practice. Right. But he's got really supportive parents. They're awesome people. So he's going to make it out there. (coughs) Randall, though. Randall is like a big, he's a big, meaty buck with big antlers. (laughs) And he's constantly sharpening his antlers. He's got a good paying job. He's got no kids. His only limiting factor will be his own drive. And I know he wants it this year. Especially when you start winning tournaments like this, guys. For me, for me personally, nothing motivates me more to work harder than a a little bit of winning. 
And the way, you know, he's winning is with some high scores. I know Randall's going to get motivated. So, uh, but back to Gus, you know, for Gus to practice, I'm sure it's tough. He still finds a way to get out there and practice, and it's showing. Gus shoots out of uh, kind of like the south. I'm not gonna. I guess he's not really South Bay, but in the in the terms of the Bay Area, in in and I know in other states, you guys probably don't care about this, but a lot of people when you hear Bay Area, you think San Francisco, right? You think Castro Street, you think of poop on the ground, right? Well, the Bay Area is actually just a big body of water. San Francisco's on the left side. Okay, I live on the right side. Now, my side is mainly guns, carjackings, um, homeless people, right? Uh, we Not a lot of poop on the floor on this side of the bay, um, but a lot of robberies. I happen to live in a little suburb, a sheltered suburb, which is nice. Um, but then as you go further south, right, along that right side of the bay, you, you get, you know, the middle of the sections like a town called Hayward, which is where I work. And then you go further south, you get Newark, Fremont, and San Jose. Um, it gets progressively crazier as you get south. Uh, I know Gus shoots out of a shop near Newark. I don't know exactly where Gus lives because I, I don't want to um, come off as creepy. It's kind of weird when someone plays a second and you're like, congratulations, where do you live? So uh, I, I've never asked him. But... He is a guy who, you know, I remember shooting in league with Gus and Gus was, you know, was a newer guy and he just saw us shooting the, you know, me and Emerson and these other guys saw us shooting. He's like, okay, all right, that's how those guys do it. Now I'm going to do it the same way. And so he cut out all the bullshit, you know, stopped buying. He, he didn't, didn't buy a bunch of knock on products. He just started practicing and Gus is right there now. He's right there. I mean, he's he's stepping foot through the door. He's I don't know what his handicap is, his outlaw handicap, but I'm sure it's not a five. So <coughs> I'm sure he's gonna message me that I'm all wrong about that. But anyway, pretty cool stuff. Uh, you guys are probably wonder how did you do, Wendell, at the Coyote Six Hundred? I did poorly. I did very bad. I practiced, um, so I can't I can't blame anything other than myself. Um, I don't have any excuses for you guys. I just shot poorly. Um, you know, and you guys are gonna, well. What, what are you gonna do about it? Well, the first thing I did was address the issues. Right, the big issues I had was I was creeping off the wall under pressure, and that always creates a bunch of issues if you can't hold into the back wall. So I adjusted the my. You guys know I just sold my whole my Hoyt Stratos, but I at the time. I adjusted the draw uh, weight down until I stopped creeping off the back wall. It took about six turns for that to happen. So I was probably running back about 53, 51 pounds <coughs> on this bow. <coughs> um, bow shoots real quiet, real quiet at 51 pounds. I tell you, you can't even hear it. Um, but yeah, I, I think I got close to solving the issue. But I can honestly tell you guys, I, I have not been putting down 300s in my own practice. It's unrealistic to not put down 300s and then show up to a tournament and think you're going to put down 300s. Um, you know, the the Hoyt Stratos just did not agree with me. And I think it's the HBT cam, in, you know, specifically. Um, 
I did not like, if you guys listen to a couple episodes, like, okay, I got called out when I put my bow for sale. Someone was like, Hey, I thought you said you love this bow. And the first time I shot it, my very first outing with it, I shot a 300. I think I shot like a 21 X 300. And I felt like there was a lot of potential with that bow. And you guys know, when you get new stuff, sometimes you get a honeymoon period with it. You know, there's a new shit syndrome kind of kicks in and you, every shot you make is like a, a strong analytical shot because you're trying to figure out how this, what this bow needs, right? Well, as the honeymoon period wears off, <clears throat> you know, this, uh, this bow starts to, you know, maybe stop taking showers so regularly, doesn't do its makeup anymore, um, you know, starts pooping in the bed and throwing glass bottles at you you start realizing that the honeymoon is over right um and this psycho's trying to kill me and i started getting that from the stratos uh, i have a good analogy in my mind it's a good analogy and maybe you guys can agree or disagree with me but um certain bows like aggressive bows basically when you draw that bow back that bow is bringing a hand up, getting ready to slap you, right? And good if if you are a good shooter, or I'm going to say a good shooter, but if you are a shooter that likes the aggressive bows, when you get back to anchor and that bow throws its slap at you, you will just deflect the slap or you'll catch the hand in midair. Some of us stoners get to full draw. That slap comes and hits us square in the face, and we go, "What? What? What? What was that? What was that?" And that's kind of where I I was with the Stratos. The draw cycle was for the HBT number one cam was really brutal, and I did not like the draw cycle. I did not like the back wall, and I talked about that openly in those episodes. I've I've talked about it. So a lot of people that are like, "Oh, I thought you loved this bow," I did. But I am being very consistent here, okay? It's not like I said it had a beautiful draw cycle and now I'm saying it has a bad one. I've said from day one that the draw cycle is garbage, okay? (coughs) The draw cycle is garbage, but it's only garbage to me. You know, maybe you guys like it. I don't know. Um, If you guys want to hear a good review about this bow, listen to my... I have two, okay? I did one with Rudy where we talked about all the things we liked about this bow. And I did one with Austin, where we talked about all the things we don't like with this bow. I think I was consistent along both of those. You guys will not hear me ever selling out. I'll only tell you guys what my honest opinion on things are. So now let's get into the cam, the number one cam. I don't want to, um, I'm not trying to burn Hoyt, but I do believe something needs to be said about this. Um... I firmly believe the number one cam, the bottom number one cam, is some of them may be defective, right? And now this is a speculation on my behalf. So all you listeners, just understand that I'm going out on a limb by telling you guys this because I'm probably going to get backlash somewhere. (laughs) But with the Hoyt Stratos and the number one cam, a lot of people... A lot of non-dumb people have experienced serving separation somewhere along the cam, right? Whether it be where your end loops go in or where the string goes into the cam itself. Um, I talked to Hoyt. I called Hoyt. 
and asked them, have you guys heard about this? Their response was yes. And I said, what is your suggestion? And they said, shoot factory strings. That was literally what they told me. Shoot factory strings. We do not recommend you use aftermarket strings. <laughs> um, it's like, okay, all right, I get it. You know, Matthews has a similar policy where they're like, don't use factory strings. I did anyway. Never had any problem. Um, I went over it with my buddy Tom Parkinson. He believed the strings that I had on there had cheap components, right? I.e. the end serving material was 3D, not Halo. And I, I was, you know, my friend Austin Kincaid told me on certain, certain bows you can get away with running 3D. But Tom is definitely right. 3D is some weak garbage compared to Halo. Um, but certain bows, i.e. PSEs, have such wide cam tracks that they can allow for nonsense uh, end servings to go in. Um, the strings I was shooting was gas, and they have since remedied this. At the, like at the time, my buddy went to went to bat for me. Rudy went to bat for me and contacted uh, gas bow strings and said, hey, you know, Wendell's having this problem. Do you guys know what it is? And they, they said, yeah. We're working on it. We, we fixed it. We're going to send him a new set of strings. So I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate that when my buddies are, well, at least industry friends go out on a limb. And, you know, I think it's another reason why you guys need to be good to your local shops, right? And support your local shops and not big internet companies like Lancaster's because, well, I maybe Lancaster has good customer service too, but. If you go to your shop, you'll at least have an advocate that can contact these companies quickly and get results quickly. Because when Rudy contacted Gas, they were like, yeah, we got it, bud. We're going to fix it. We'll make it right. Um, since then, I had heard of many of other bows with the number one cam and the Stratos having this issue. So much so, I was starting to think... Okay, at the, so at this moment, I'm like, it is the string. It is the string... It's the string needs to be built a certain way that people don't know yet. Um, but the man himself, Randall Kilpack, the string builder, the shooter, he had built himself something along the lines of like a 20-strand main string. I might be getting that wrong, but when I get him on this show, if I can get him on this show, he'll tell, he'll tell us. Um, Randall was experiencing the same wear that I was with a really thin main string. <coughs> So what does that tell you? It's a cam issue, right? Or Randall's doing something weird with his string building. So at this point, I'm still open-minded. Could be either thing. Could be the cam, could be the string, but now I'm starting to lean, lean towards the cam now being the issue. And then the AB Invitational rolls around, and I hear a story, and I'm not going to name any names because this is kind of strange, but I hear a story and you guys should understand this is hearsay. I'm hearing something from someone who heard something, okay? So whether or not you want to believe this is factual is entirely up to you. But it is in the ether. It has been floated out there that Hoyt has now gone through and tossed out all their number one cams uh, at the, the factory, and they are replacing them with other number one cams. So if that is true, <laughs> let me give you the rundown as someone who works in manufacturing, what that means. In my company... If we're going to go through and we're going to see a part and we're going to toss out a bunch of one type of part, those it's going to be because that part does not meet spec or because it is defective. Okay. Um, 
I'm leaning towards spec, right? Something is out of spec here. Uh, generally, with quality control, right? If we machine something in-house, we have a quality control person look it over. Maybe for finishing, maybe like it could be that their quality control guy just looks for finishing defects, you know? Because some people trust their, you know, some companies trust their machinists to do it right. Um, you know, whether or not those cams are made in house, I don't know. I don't know. I can't say. But if this is if this story is true, and someone at Hoyt went through and started tossing out number one cams, that means a bunch of bows are out on the market with that cam that got tossed out. All right. It also tells me that Hoyt knows what the issue is. <coughs> I apologize. It also tells me that Hoyt knows what the issue is, and they're they're working on it. So this problem will be resolved. If you guys are a Stratos shooter and you have a number two cam, don't worry. Absolutely don't worry. Just rock and roll. The number two cam does not have this problem. I've only heard about this with people shooting the number one. Um, now, does this mean everybody that has one of these bad cams is going to get a replacement one for free? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, you would think it should be that everyone gets a free replacement, but I, I can't say, you know, I don't work for Hoyt. I don't work for a shop. Um, it's just interesting. It's interesting. So I was going to try to make this bow work, but right at about this point, I was kind of like, mm. You know, there's other companies out there that have way less drama with their bows, and I think I might just go that route. I mean, I'm I'm not shooting the bow very well, but you guys know, with enough time put into something, you can figure it out. You know, I just don't think I want to put the time forth on on a on a bow that's going to give me this much trouble with the with the string and the the hoot nanny and the whatnot. So. I sold it. I sold it to a good friend of mine, actually. So hopefully he gets a good set of strings and they don't do have this problem. Uh, I would guess he's probably going to have to talk to Hoyt at some point. But he's a Hoyt. He's a Hoyt guy, so he'll be fine. But that's that's kind of where it's coming down to. I am I am now bowless. I have my Hoyt hunting bow. And let me be clear, all right. Before everyone thinks I'm just going to go out there and bash on Hoyt. I have a Hoyt hunting bow, and it is awesome. It has HBX cams that do not have any problems whatsoever. All right? So, you know, don't think that for one minute I'm just going to turn my back on Hoyt and say, oh, this company sucks. I mean, those actions kind of suck. You know, like I said earlier, these companies need to be thinking about the consumer. They need to start thinking about the people that are buying the shit. I mean, people are ponying up money to buy these bows in the middle of a recession. All right? Gasoline is not returned to its regular price yet. It is still fucking expensive just to get to work. So the fact that you you pay your hard-earned money, basically time of your life you have spent to make that money, you've spent for a product that is not 100% to me is unacceptable and for the company to be hush hush about it i mean i understand i understand the hush hush thing i get it you don't want but there should at least be some kind of notice issued to the vendors 
to all the shops that carry the Stratos. Hoy should be sending out an email. Hey, we have a slight issue. You know, if you guys have clients that have this, because who knows? This might be an isolated incident. It might be just people in the Bay Area. Bay Area. <coughs> Californians are kind of hated all over the country. So maybe Hoyt sent us the shitty cams or the Chinese cams. Who knows? But an email should go out that says, hey, guys, if you got this, we apologize. We're sending them out. We'll credit the stores for their time. End of email. Right? That would be the ethical thing. Again, I'm not in, quote, the industry, so I can't say. I can only tell you what's right on what I would say is right. Um, now, let me, let, me, let me put some of this fire out. All right? I shoot a Ventum 33 for hunting. Oh, let's get into some hunting stuff now that we're talking about it. Since you brought it up. Um, this has been the best hunting bow I've ever shot. Um, I have zero wear anywhere on the bow. And I, I went all out on this hunting bow. I bought the, the Picatinny sight, you know, I'm running the full limb drop away doodad. I went, I went all out on this bow, hands down. It is such an accurate bow and it, it has changed the way like this target bow has changed. I'm sorry. This hunting bow has changed the way. I think about target bows because when you start tuning a hunting bow, you start tuning for a broadhead, you start tuning for arrow instability and it, it teaches you a lot of stuff. You also, if you're smart, you'll shoot it with no lens. Now I've shot a hunting bow with a lens. Now I don't. All right. And it's taken me a while to come around to it, but okay. So I, I hopefully that's put it out, uh, put out the fire. Hoyt makes great hunting bows. Draw cycle smooth. Draw cycle's perfect. Strong back wall. You can adjust, you can adjust your let off. I got nothing against the hunting bow. Their target bow. I'm just gonna go out on a limb and set it. You guys released it too early. Hoyt, if if anyone at Hoyt ever hears this, Wendell says you released that bow too early and you did not do your due diligence, sirs. Okay. Um, shame on you. Shame. Shame. Boo. Boo this company. Boo. All right. Um, their hunting bows, however, works of art. I give you the chef's kiss. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, a couple people wanted to hear some stories on my uh, Facebook about the bloody arrow picture. Um, so, me and my dad, we drew late season tags. And actually what they are are either sex tags. There, um, when you get an either sex tag in California, generally they come with different dates, right? And by different dates, it means your hunting season is different than everyone else's. So me and dad, we drew these late season tags and basically they started early, they start early October and they ended early November, right? And that's, that's well after the season ends for regular a zone uh deer hunting so we got to experience the rut we got to experience like what happens after the rut <coughs> it was an amazing it was for me it was an amazing hunting experience all right you guys know i've been bow hunting for four years now all right i am terrible absolutely terrible at it 
And uh, this year was the year I've had the most, I've let the most arrows fly at deer. Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm getting all excited here, so I'm starting to cough. But let me give you guys the rundown, okay? So, me and Dad hunt down the co or down south. I'm not gonna tell you where we hunt because it's just hunter's code. There's already too many people there. But we're bow hunting. All right, I got my venom. Um, the first first buck I've ever shot uh, happened this year, and he was huge. He was a gigantic buck. Easily, I would, without exaggerating to you guys, he's a trophy buck, okay? Um, he was 100 yards away. He was chasing a doe around. Um, I told my dad, you know, like, let me out of the, we, we roll around in an FJ, a Toyota FJ Cruiser. I said, let me out of the FJ, dad, I see something. So my dad lets me out, and I, I give him the sign to keep, keep driving. Just in case these deer see us, they're going to watch the FJ and not me. And so I see this massive buck, a hundred. I mean, at this point, he's probably 120 yards away, 130 yards away. I set my sight to 100, and I creep up to uh, where I, I keep ranging the doe that he's next to is 100 yards. And they're kind of they're behind this hill, right? So where I'm at, if I crouch down low enough, they can't see me because I'm getting, I'm blocked out by the hill. It's hot. It's probably 100 degrees. 100 and something degrees. So I crawl until I get up, and I'm at a solid flat 100 degrees. I range the deer's head, like the big buck. I range his head, right? And I range it twice. I got 100 flat. I put my pin right where his neck is. He's kind of the doe's to his right, right? And so I figure if I shoot, most likely by the time the arrow gets there, in like, you know, course of a second, it should hit him right at about the shoulder or hit him somewhere in the body at least 100 yards it's hard to hit us you know it, chances are i had in my mind i'm either going to hit him or i'm going to miss him right i sent the arrow and i know a lot of you guys are like 100 yard shots unethical and it's like i i understand that i understand um it's my fourth year i don't care anymore right well, at least i didn't but listen to this story that arrow flies perfectly straight, 100 yards, hits him. The doe takes off running. He jumps up like he's going to follow her and falls to the ground. So I go up over the hill, and I see it sticking out of his shoulder. My arrow did not pass through. It's just sticking out of his shoulder. It's 100 yards. I didn't expect it to pass through. I have 26 and a 26.5-inch draw length. You know, Regardless of whatever you think, that's, that's going to be very difficult to get a pass through. Um, I run up over the hill and i see him limping like he's wounded he's mortally wounded and i'm like sweet i'm gonna finish him off right here i'm on top of the hill i'm looking down at him and he's starting to walk up a different hill he's limping up a different hill so i could i have it's kind of like i'm looking down on him i load a second arrow and i pass one right through a spot in his back and the the arrow passes right through it's either the back or his neck all right um it's hard to say I was way calmer on the first shot. The second shot, I was, it was like basically Michael J. Fox was taking the shot, all right? Um, and, but I, you know, I first the arrow falls off the rest, put it back on, get, line it up, shoot, and it's somewhere between, 
I'm going to say the arrow passed somewhere between, like, I, I can't, t- I, I think to the right side of his spine and somewhere between his shoulder blade and his neck. All right. And my buddy told me there's an area called a void, which is where it's just meat, right? The arrow passes right through him. He barks like a dog, right? This big buck went bark or woof, right? And jumps up in the air and then like as fast as he could runs into the brush. And I was like, holy crap. Like I'm going to lose him in the brush. So I make the biggest rookie mistake and I chase him into the brush. He's leaving a fat blood trail at this point. Okay. I got both and and the first arrow breaks off. So the the broadhead's still in him but the arrow breaks off. And I chase him into the brush. <laughs> this deer runs he's in this thick brush. He I see him run downhill out of the brush into this little it's not a clearing cuz there's a bunch of trees. And so I I chase him down into this clearing. At this point he sees me. He army he gets on his hands and knees. I'm sorry, not hands and knees, elbows and knees. Whatever the deer equivalent of that is. Uh dewclaw, I don't know. And he um starts crawling under the brush uphill. So I leave my bow and I just follow the blood trail. And it gets so thick in this brush that you know I, I'm getting hit in the eyes. I'm getting hit in the arms. I ended. Up, I went. I wound up with a terrible case of poison oak after this. I shot him at eleven, like ten or eleven o'clock, and at sundown, I had lost his blood trail. And I'm in this thick brush, following blood. There's certain sections of the blood trail that there's a lot of blood, and then in other sections there's like almost no blood. I'm following single drops. I can see sometimes I can see blood on the on the tree branches. And now th- keep in mind, this is my first time. I'm not an experienced deer hunter, right? At least at this point. I'm not experienced at tracking a deer. For anyone out there that's about to start deer hunting, the rule is after you shoot them with a kill shot, you just let them hide. Don't push them. Let them hide for an hour. Let them sit. Because what happens... You guys know when you smack your dog, if you're an abusive dog owner, what do they do? They just run and they hide and they hide in that one spot, right? If you wound an animal, they're just going to run and hide. They're not going to keep moving unless you force them to keep moving. And I forced this beautiful buck to keep moving. And he got so deep in the brush that eventually I lost his blood trail and completely lost him. I know his approximate whereabouts of where he died, but I never recovered the body. And that was a huge, huge kick in the nuts. Like I had considered quitting bow hunting. I I didn't know if I wanted to do archery at that point. I was like, this sucks. You know, my dad, you know, he told me some stories that kind of got me along. Like my dad's hunted for 50 years, 60 years. My dad's killed millions of deer and that does not come without losing some. So, well, he didn't lose him. My uncle did. But anyway, that was a big one. Okay. Um, so this last week, it was the last week of my tag. 
I was either gonna I was either gonna shoot a deer or go home empty handed. And I was hunting both days, Saturday and Sunday. And on Saturday night, it's around four four o'clock. I actually the exact time was five thirty. So it's kinda getting cool, the sun's starting to go down. It's not not fully down. We've got like thirty minutes left of daylight. Maybe forty minutes left of daylight. Me and Dad are driving around. We see a doe at seventy-four yards. Oh, okay. Back up. The last, the week, last week. I'm sorry. The week before last week. So it's the week before my the final weekend. We're driving around and we see nothing. The rut is over, right? When we do see bucks, they're two hundred yards away, and they will just head for the hill. The second they see us, they head for the hills. No tolerance. I see a huge buck. And I'm going to say his rack is smaller than the buck that I lost, but his body is way bigger. And he's just walking. He's about 100 yards away from me, and he's walking the opposite direction that we're going. So I tell my dad I'm going to go after him. I go around this hill, and I know that you know, I check, check the wind. I know that he's going to, if he doesn't scent, if he doesn't hear me, he's going to walk around this hill, and he's going to be right in front of me. And so I'm just moving real slow, trying not to make noise. <coughs> he comes around this hill, and I range him for 50 yards. 50 yards. Okay? I'm shaking so bad at this point. My rangefinder's all over the place. I load up an arrow. He kind of sees me and stops. He's completely turned broadside to me. I let an arrow fly goes right over his back i think he was like 43 yards because i started ranging you know i started rain after upon analysis it seemed that he was a little bit closer and that i had actually ranged a tree behind him um but it broke my heart he's a big buck it was redemption time um and i just completely missed for dumb reasons for not ranging properly but he was a beautiful buck and uh so at this point now it's the, the final weekend fast forward to where we were it's the final weekend and uh it's f- you know five five o'clock five thirty or no no i'm sorry it's it's late four o'clock early five o'clock we see a doe at 74 yards we haven't seen any bucks all right saturday zero bucks and I'm like, Dad, you know, rut's over. It was a great season, but, you know, we might be skunked. I see a doe standing at 74 yards. And I said, Dad, I know my dad is against shooting does. Even though he has an either sex tag, he refuses to shoot a doe. And I understand. I get it. For a lot of you experienced deer hunters that don't want to shoot a doe, I get it. For a guy like me, you know, I haven't shot, I haven't shot any deer at the moment. Um, I'm Asian, right? Asians generally tend to shoot everything. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm in it to kill it now. So we see this doe at 74 yards and I say, dad, I have to try to shoot this doe. Like, I'm sorry. The Asian in me, I am, I'm half Japanese guys. So before you start yelling racist at me, I am half Japanese. So think about that. Right? You call me racist, I'm going to turn around and call you racist. And if you're not Asian, I'm going to win. Okay? So, um, I 
pop out of the car. There's tree coverage everywhere, you know. So it's like one thing I learned earlier in the season. I shot at I shot at another buck. I shot at a lot of bucks this year in the late season. Um, I shot at this one buck at a hundred yards, and it my arrow hit a tree like the like I didn't even think about it because it the tree was so high up. But at a hundred yards, you're getting a lot of arc on that arrow. Um, so I thought seventy four yards is going to be some arc. Um, if I can find a clearing, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the shot. And so I'm walking away from the doe and I find a clearing and that's where I ranged her at 74. And I find this open straight shot and she's turned to perfectly broadside to me. I think she's getting ready to, to book it. And I sent this arrow. It's like, I lined, I was like, oh man, here's the clearing. Okay. Knock my arrow, ranger again, just to double check. Don't want to repeat the first, you know what happened the week before. Line up a really good shot. Let the arrow fly. You hit, when you shoot a deer with an arrow, it makes a sound. Right? It's an undeniable sound. <coughs> it's like a slap and a crack all at the same time. I think, I think it's the their ribs breaking is the crack, and the slap is your arrow hitting their their hide or their you know, the surface of their skin or whatever. Um, but you hear the, the loud crack slap. She takes off running. And I go back to my dad and I said, dad, I'm sorry. I hit her. And dad goes, okay, Jesus. He's like my fucking city son, you know, city boy. Um, she only ran about 90 yards, which I know is not, for most of you guys, it's not cool, right? Because I think the that phrase, like, didn't go 20. She didn't go... They didn't go 20, right? Is what you want. You want to hit them and they just fall down. Um, the bucks down where we shoot are, are like drag race vehicles. They're like nitro cars or nitro bikes. Like, the second they get freaked out, they're 0 to 60 instantly. So, I want you guys to know, she was only alive for, I'm going to guess, 20 seconds. Um... It's where she made it that 90 yards before she collapsed in a big pile. Um, I went, we gutted her. I saved her heart. And I know you guys are going to think this is gross, but I actually like cooked that heart and fed my family. Um, I kept the heart. I didn't keep the liver, which I should have, but I know a lot of people get skeeved out by that. My dad didn't want to touch the heart. So I saved it for my wife and kid. Um, I took this deer to the butcher, and we're gonna, I mean, we're going to eat all of it. No part of that deer is going to go to waste. And you guys are like, well, what about the feet? I cut the feet off and kept the feet. And you said, why are you keeping the feet? Well, I'm going to go to my uncle's house, and then I'm going to put deer tracks everywhere in his yard. And then I'm going to throw the feet in his garbage can. So, yeah, there's use for that yet. But that was my experience guys and there's i have a thousand stories in between there that i can tell you because i shot at so many bucks i only shot at one doe that i hit okay but i shot at a ton of bucks because i really wanted to be i did i didn't want to be the guy that settles on a doe i am that's what happened but i i feel like i got a master class with this late season tag in bow hunting and um it was an awesome experience. And I got to say, 
the Hoyt Venom 33, baddest ass hunting bow ever. Thing shoots like laser beams. It's it's a brick shit house. Nothing's wearing on it. I got it from West Coast. West Coast Archery set me up with a sight. It has the uh, landslide on it. I have the the what do they call it? tight spot quiver or not? It's, no, no, it's not a tight spot. It's the Hoyt inline quiver. Um, I got all the Hoyt products on it. It's legit. So before you guys go thinking I hate Hoyt, I just hate their their target bow. Okay. All right, guys. Let me see where are we at. Talked about my issues with the Stratos. Talked about my hunting season recap. How I suck at indoor now. Um, yep. All right, guys. I got a question for you. I'm picking up a new bow this weekend. I'm going to buy a new bow. It's either... Uh, I think I need something that I have let off options. All right. In my mind, I either need a smooth draw cycle, all right, which the Stratos didn't have, or I need 80% let off, which the Stratos didn't have. The Matthews bows, the one I, what I did last year in Vegas was with the Matthews with 80% let off. Okay. Now, 80% let off does not lend to shooting outdoors very well. I should tell you guys. I think for outdoors, you want either 75% or 70 Vs if you're shooting a Matthews. Um, 70 V just means 70% with a valley. Um, so, what do, what do you guys think? My two. The two bows that I'm eyeing right now are an Elite Verdict, right? Because that has an adjustable uh, let off. My close friends have told me that that is a second tier bow, kind of like a, a third world country in bow form. <coughs> um, but come on, let's be real. Is it really? Is it really? Prove it. Um, and then my other option would be going back and shooting Matthews. My the only thing I don't want to go back and shoot a Matthews is I, I'm not a big fan of the grip. Does it stop me? No. No, it doesn't stop me. Um, I am very familiar with the Matthews bows. I do like them. Uh, but I did sell them for a reason. Like I had two and I sold them because I wanted, I wanted something different. So at this point, I'm leaning towards the elite verdict. Keep in mind, I know a lot of you guys are going to say buy a PSE, right? Well, I think what I need is either 80% let off for a smooth draw cycle. I would hate to buy a PSE and realize what I need is 80% let off. <laughs> All right, because they don't offer that. Um, if you guys got any suggestions that aren't Darton, right? Don't tell me to buy a Darton because I won't. No, I just won't do it. Um, if you guys got any suggestions, send me a message. Say, hey, Wendell, I think you should check this bow out. Okay? Uh, let me know if you think Elite's a bad idea. I, I think that's going to be, it's probably going to be the next bow I get. Um, but I'm open to suggestions. I want to hear what you guys have to say, okay? So thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm going to have some guests lined up pretty soon so you guys don't have to hear me just talk willy-nilly by myself. All right. So thank you guys as always. You guys know the show is brought to you by DB Custom Coatings. My friends Darren and Bet out of Napa. They'd be Saracotin bows. And they'd be making them look good. Uh, if you guys check out West Coast Archery's Instagram, all right, West Coast Archery Shop, uh, they have a couple of Darren's bows. They have some Stratoses for sale. Check them out. They got really sick finishes. Um, also, Carbon Craft Stabilizers. 
my man, Brian Webb, down at Impact Archery, builds the Carbon Craft Stabilizer. You can order them from him at Carbon, uh, I'm sorry, at Impact Archery, uh, in Clo- I think Clovis or Fresno. Um, or you can place an order with Rudy Sandoval up at West Coast. Uh, West Coast has everything that you could possibly need. Um, and if they don't, they can get it for you. So those are my personal sponsor. Well, they sponsor the show. They sponsor me personally. They're good friends of mine. Um, and they're good people. I've never, I've never heard anybody not be happy with them or speak ill of them. So, uh, I hope, I hope, uh, you guys contact them, get some carbon craft stabilizers or get your bow seracoded and, Hit me up later. Tell me, hey, you're right. They're freaking awesome. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, you guys have a great week. Uh, there will be some indoor events coming up. I am out of hunting mode now. I'm going to try to learn how to shoot 20 yards again. And uh, I'll keep you guys updated. We can all we can all figure it out together. What do you say? Huh? You guys want to shoot some? Let's shoot a 30x game. All right, let's make that our goal this year. 30X game. Is anyone else in? Let's do it. All right, fuckos. Peace out.